Hello, everyone. This is Fire Chief Paul Dow with Albuquerque Fire Rescue. Now, this podcast is designed to bring you helpful training and best practices and some additional resources that you can access from anywhere. So thank you for joining us and enjoy today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the AFR podcast. I got Captain Clint Anderson, B-Shift 7-8, joining me again. How you doing, Clint? Doing good. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate you having me again. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, our topic today is going to be hyperkalemia, and you can watch Dr. Pruitt's uh, YouTube video about this, and it explains kind of more of the doctor-level details, but we're going to try to break it down in ways that most paramedics can understand, I think. Um, so as deep as we're going to get pretty much is that we have uh, sodium, is normally going to be outside of the cell. We're going to have another electrolyte, potassium, is going to be mainly inside the cell. And when we're talking about hyperkalemia, which is our topic of the day, that's going to be when we've got more potassium outside the cell or extracellular potassium than normal. Uh, So, Clint, what kind of problems can this cause? So... uh what we're looking for in this is, uh, I mean, uh, like we were discussing earlier, folks that walk around with normal metabolic conditions, you're not, uh, you're not going to see this, uh, this manifest. But when, when the potassium, when there's more potassium outside of the cell, it's going to affect the way that uh, the muscles contract. And specifically for our intents and purposes, it's going to affect the way the, the heart muscle contracts. And again, to be more specific, when, uh, when there is more of this extracellular potassium, uh, the potassium outside the cell, you're going to start to see peak T waves, maybe with tachycardia. And as that progresses, you'll see it uh, turn into maybe a little bit more of this sine wave, which is a little more of a funky looking, slightly wider kind of a complex. And as this uh, this particular patient uh, progresses, as far as that uh, um, potassium toxicity, you're going to see a, a bradycardic, like a wide QRS complex. This is typically the point where you would anticipate a cardiac arrest, like a V-fib arrest uh, in particular, and go ahead and put those pads on the patient just to be a little bit uh, proactive. Okay. All right. So now you mentioned that this is not normal for somebody to have. So what kind of people would we expect to see this in? So uh, specific patient populations, there are two of these really that are going to raise the the medics or in anyone within our department, uh, be it BLS or ALS, going to raise your index of suspicion that this patient might be suffering from hyperkalemia from too much of this uh, potassium outside of the cells. These will be your patients with uh, impaired kidney function, uh, so renal issues. Maybe they're a regular dialysis patient. They have a shunt. Family tells you that uh, they missed dialysis or that they are a uh, kidney failure dialysis patient. Uh, or you're at a skilled nursing facility, urgent care clinic, something like that, and folks tell you that, yeah, they need to go to the hospital because they got their labs back and the potassium is high. This being a, an incredibly high index of suspicion. The second uh, population of patients you're going to look for, uh, or I would say maybe to anticipate or to, to raise your, your index that they might be suffering from hyperkalemia would be the crush injury or the rhabdomyolysis patients, the, uh, the guy that just ran the ultra marathon or the old lady that fell and has been lying on the floor for two days. Okay, so for these patients, again, they're going to have uh, some kind of damage to these cells. And as we already mentioned, the, the potassium is normally inside of these cells when they're damaged. Now all that potassium is extracellular, and that creates a problem. 
Correct. Yeah. So that that that'll create that uh, the the toxicity that's going to make the heart more irritable. And again, this this will be seen by the medics once we obtain that twelve lead EKG. And then that, again, the, the crush injury being something that actually destroys the cell. In the renal patient, the kidney patient, you just have kidneys that normally process and are able to, to maintain this balance. They're working inefficiently or not at all. That's why you'll see uh, this buildup of the extracellular potassium. Okay, so let's get into the treatment of this problem then. As, as far as treatment goes, again, we've already come across this patient, these patient populations, your index of suspicion is high, depending on how the patient is presenting. Oftentimes for us, it may be in cardiac arrest, but we'll discuss that separately. But you already have, you already have all these other ducks in a row, so you've decided you want to treat. The first thing we want to do when we have this high index of suspicion or almost a certainty, say if you get the lab values from the clinic, would be to give albuterol. The difference in this setting is going to be the amount. You're going to be giving 15 milligrams of the albuterol inhaled through a neb, it's uh, going to be without the atrovent. If we're used to giving the duo nebs, don't bother with the atrovent in this setting. The idea that Dr. Pruitt wants us to know with albuterol is that this is going to be the quickest, easiest way to bring that potassium back into the cell and to buy you more time so that this patient doesn't go into a cardiac arrest. Okay, so if the potassium can be there in the cell or out of the cell say the problem is we've got a bunch of potassium out of the cell. If we send it back inside the cell, then that kind of uh, takes care of the problem momentarily. Is that the idea? Yeah. And again, just remember, just like when we give albuterol in the field for the shortness of breath, it's something we want to reassess and not to anticipate, but to be ready to see these conditions come back. So if this patient begins to worsen again, you're ready to, to deliver that treatment again. So just understand that, these, that all of these drugs have a half-life, that it's not going to last indefinitely. So, one, so the reason you're giving this is to buy you time to do things more definitive uh, in the pre-hospital setting, which would be placing this patient on 12-lead so that we can have a good idea as to whether this hyperkalemia is affecting the myocardium. And that, of course, like we said, is going to be manifest with the, uh, the peak T waves or prolonged QRS. And again, if it's a bradycardic prolonged QRS, our folks need to be acting a little more aggressively. Um, when we see these changes with the EKG, this is when we're going to start thinking of a, of a calcium. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned putting the pads on earlier. So I guess explain the uh, severity of that suspicion of hyperkalemia now that patient becomes bradycardic and they have a widened QRS um, explain just how severe that is sure sure so by the time you get to the to the widened QRS I would I would picture yourself being behind the curve we need to catch up a little bit so while you're having your BLS friends prepare this neb again with the 15 milligrams and they're starting to administer you're getting that 12 lead but if you're getting that 12 lead and you've gotten the 12 lead and you see this, say that bradycardic widened QRS, hopefully you already have someone else starting a line so that you can be thinking proactively about giving the calcium chloride. And when I mentioned that the albuterol's function is to bring the potassium back into the cell, calcium doesn't do this. What the calcium does is it sees this unstable, soon to go into a V-fib type arrest. It sees this unstable myocardium and it's going to help to bring stability to the heart. So while you're buying yourself time with the albuterol and affecting that intracellular versus extracellular potassium, you're giving the calcium to help chill the heart out and hopefully prevent that cardiac arrest in the pre-hospital setting. 
Okay. Our guidelines mention is sodium bicarb. Now, if you could just talk a little bit about how sodium bicarb comes into play here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you alluded to balance and again, bal- balance with the charges and these various electrolytes within the body. So the sodium bicarb is going to be acting more like the albuterol where you're going to affect how much and the proportion of potassium and so- sodium sorry, are outside versus inside the cell. We want that potassium back inside to decrease that instability in the heart. Um, so when you introduce more of the sodium, you're going to be able to start to reestablish that balance. And a lot of this for us, uh, and I know I mentioned the phrase buying time several times, but it is. A lot of this is really just staying any sort of bad, i.e. cardiac arrest effects, in the pre-hospital setting. Once they get into the hospital, these folks are going to be looking at some other interventions, as well as uh, monitoring and reassessing. To be able to segue from that, remember that as we give each one of these treatments, let's say that I've given, I've started my albuterol, I've given my calcium, I'm considering the sodium bicarb, but I'm also, in the meantime, taking cereal vitals, especially cereal 12 leads. So 12 leads at least every five minutes, I would say. And what I would hope to see is that this either peak T-wave or this widened QRS is starting to narrow, and the peak T-wave is starting to decrease as far as amplitude, meaning how big and scary that peak is. I want to see it start to diminish. If I see these things, then I know I'm tracking right as far as treatments. And like we always say, you know, every... uh, Every treatment deserves a reassessment and vice versa. So, For example, based on our reassessments, serial 12 leads and these kinds of things, uh, let's just say that you're working in 16's district. It's a bit of a prolonged transport. On scene, you gave your calcium, but somewhere either during transport or just before transport, you did notice that this patient is kind of devolving back into that more widened QRS or that you see the peak T waves. In our hyperkalemia protocol, there is not an indication to give this second dose of calcium. This is a perfect time to work to anticipate this when you do see these EK changes beginning to develop again. And when you know that the first dose helped, I would call ahead, try to get a hold of that consortium. The earlier, the better, obviously. Paint a good picture for the doc. Let them know that you that you did see those serial 12 leads and you did see a good positive change as far as your index of suspicion and giving the calcium that you'd like to give a second dose. And then all of this, going back to some of our, our basic uh, tenets as far as medication administration, making sure that we follow our medication cross-checks with all of these things. Um, doesn't matter what it is we're giving. We want to make sure we're giving the right amount to the right patient in the right situation. So... Okay. So I wanted to bring up uh, something I've seen on quite a few calls. So this is just a random cardiac arrest. We're going out to a 70-year-old female patient. We show up and this person's in uh, PEA. So we start just working the normal PEA code. And then, uh, you know, there's always the good idea fairy who's like, hey, uh, what do you think about calcium on this patient? What is your stance and just in general, like, the seven, eight stance on, uh, you know, well, let's just try it out. They're already dead. Let's see, see what happens. Yeah. Uh, these are, these are perfect examples where we as seven, eights like to empower our guys, specifically our lead medics. And we have those conversations on, you know, almost, almost every cardiac arrest, something like that in the realm of being an advocate for the patient here, 
It would need to be in the setting where you truly do see and have that large index of suspicion that this is a hyperkalemia issue. We don't want to be throwing the kitchen sink just because we can. Again, with great power comes great responsibility, says Spider-Man. Same kind of idea with this. Uh, as you would see with the Narcan administrations or with the D10. So we're not just going to give it just because. We're not going to throw the kitchen sink at, you know, I mean, maybe it could be a thousand different reasons as to why this patient went into cardiac arrest. It doesn't mean that we're going to blindly explore every avenue. So it's perfect opportunity for our lead medics to speak up. Okay, so index of suspicion again. And then if that situation, if it is somebody that maybe missed dialysis, then that is a good reason to give it, but not just on everybody just because why not? Yeah. And I, I also like to, to jump onto the going, going across the, if you see something, say something type idea where if the lead medic is gathering information from family and they may not, family may not be the best historians, which we see on a regular basis. Anyone that's in and around the patient, if you happen to see one of these fistulas, so it'd be a weird-looking thing, usually on the inside of the arm, maybe kind of towards the forearm, where they attach the dialysis machines, make sure to speak up or to bring it to someone's attention because that, again, is going to help us get a better picture and idea of what's going on with this patient so we can treat them better. Yeah, yeah, and talk about it on scene. There's nothing wrong with you know having that idea. It's just a matter of what are you going to do with that information. So anybody can mention uh, calcium, bicarb, um, albuterol, but now it's the discussion of is this appropriate and is this going to actually benefit the patient as we've been talking about today? Correct. Yeah, we're all professionals, and that's uh, that's how I expect every scene to go. You know, I want I want all these brains interacting together for the better of the patient. Okay, Clint. Well, thanks. This is a somewhat shorter podcast than normal. It's you know, it's not a huge topic. We're talking about hyperkalemia today. Do you have any other uh, closing thoughts? Maybe just department wide on some of the some of the messages that 7-8 want to get out there to the field? Sure, sure. Um, off of this, from this discussion about hyperkalemia, to me, it, it really hammers home the idea behind our QA metrics, uh, this information data that we're trying to gather to make us better as a department, make us better providers, you know, specifically for the patients. Part of this is taking 12 leads. Uh, we don't want to just place them on that simple four lead. Uh, it's only going to tell you what the heart rate is. So that's why we want to get 12 lead acquisitions every time that we can. And not just in the setting of chest pain, because as, as we just discussed, these hyperkalemic patients might be a little sick, might be a little uh, altered level of responsiveness, something like that, but they're not going to necessarily tell you they have chest pain. So traditionally, folks may not put them on the 12 lead, this is absolutely absolutely the situation to do that. And remind, remember also that it doesn't necessarily have to be that dialysis patient. It could be that patient that's been lying on the floor for two days or the, uh, the patient that just got extricated, prolonged extrication and a potential crush injury, something else you want to look for and keep in mind. All these things being said, so take, get a 12 lead. Make sure to get tw- uh, serial 12 leads. That's going to affect all your interventions. To sum up for the hyper-K, these interventions are the 15 milligrams of albuterol. We're going to nebulize that. And uh, that can be given, again, based on your reassessment, based on if you feel like this patient is still suffering from the hyperkalemia and would benefit from it. The, uh, the next line, when we do see a widened QRS 
peak T wave and that widen QRS specifically is going to be over 120 when you're looking at the value on your 12 lead. That's when you're going to be looking at giving calcium to help sort of decrease that excitability there in the actual heart muscle. And don't forget, uh, I think I said it was one gram of the calcium chloride. And then you're going to be looking at the sodium bicarb again to help bring that balance there between the intracellular, extracellular electrolytes. And that's uh, one milliequivalent per kilogram. So we'll be uh, looking at making that calculation, giving that medication, and looking to help to restore some of that electrolyte balance. So just to, just to jump to the, to the other end of the spectrum, you could be looking at patients who are suffering from a lack of intracellular potassium hypokalemia. You could uh, see this in chronic alcoholics, in CHFers who take Lasix. And a lot of times it manifests in someone that you wouldn't suspect it as much, these being like a weak, uh, dizzy old ladies uh, that you run on. So it doesn't seem like the signs and symptoms that might prompt you to be getting that quick 12 lead. Uh, but when you do, you know, this 12 lead, you'll be looking specifically at the values, the measures that are up to the left of their interpretation. Obviously, we tell you not to base your EKG interpretation off of what the 12 lead on the life pack tells you. But to the left, the actual values and instruments, the readings are accurate. And uh, for those values, we're looking at a QTC. If it's greater than 450, you want to keep an eye on this. And again, a good reason for the serial uh, 12 leads so that you can see any sort of progression in the length of this. Now, if it's over 500, you want to withhold things like Zofran because Zofran will increase this hypokalemia. Uh, it it uh, the side effects from the Zofran actually prolong the uh, the QT uh, segment there. That uh, that also kind of brings me into a, a, another patient population. This could be the patient that suffers from that cyclic, not chronic, but cyclic vomiting. They vomited many times over several days, and that's going to affect the uh, the levels of the electrolytes within the body. So these are all patients that Dr. Pruitt had said in the hospital setting, she gets a 12 lead every time prior to any of these interventions, even something seemingly as uh, innocuous as Zofran. So just uh, just some word to the wise. Oh, and to add another patient population would be uh, folks that are on methadone. And for whatever reason, that ends up uh, predisposing them to, uh, to a hypokalemic conditions as well. Okay. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up. Thanks again, Clint, for coming on. And everybody, we'll talk to you on the next episode of the AFR Podcast. Thank you.